Welcome to episode 99 of the Gump Runners Podcast. Chase Thornton, Lester Mitchell, Jeremy Law. One episode away from triple digits. Um, nobody thought we'd make it this far, yet here we are. <laughs> it's officially Iron Bowl week. Um, if you're listening to this on Thanksgiving Day, we, we want to wish you a happy Thanksgiving from Gump Runners to your family. Um, if you're listening to it on Friday or later, then uh, we hope you had a, a happy Thanksgiving. Um, everybody giving thanks for... The turnaround of Jalen Milrow and Tommy Reese. And, uh, you know, thankful that Nick Saban handed over the offense to Tommy and told him to take off with uh, with Jalen Milrow. But, um, you know, Iron Bowl week here, we'll briefly hit the Chattanooga game, hit the high points of that, and uh, and then we'll get into mostly – most of the uh, podcast will be discussion of the Iron Bowl. Um, guys, you know, it, it's not too often – that you see Nick Saban make a change the the week before the Iron Bowl, the game before the Iron Bowl. Um, but, you know, this game against Chattanooga, there were two of them. Uh, Darian Dalcourt plays a majority of the first half at center. And then, of course, Caleb Downs goes back for punts after Kool-Aid has yet another blunder back there. So we we'll definitely want to – I want to hear from both of you guys on both of those subjects. But first of all, Lester – did you agree with the way the game went? Um, I thought that Bama did what they needed to do. You know, you jumped on them early. I think first play of the game was the bomb to Burton. Um, they didn't run Jalen Milrow, um, and I'm pretty sure they told him not to even scramble because there was a couple of times where he could have picked up 15-plus yards, and he, he either threw the ball away or, you know, tried to force the throw downfield. Alabama got a big lead in this game, got starters out of the game to avoid targeting an injury. Um, basically everything you want to say. So did you agree with how the game was played as a, as a whole? Absolutely. Um, I think the game was uh, well thought out, well executed pretty well. Um, a game like this is the game where you would want to experiment. So whether it's you know, Dow Court replacing Steph or Kool-Aid, um, getting taken off of a punt return, um, this is the game – Technically, where you work on stuff. I'm so glad that Miro didn't run um, how he normally does. This is game, like I said last week, this is the game where you continue to get better against someone who's in a different color jersey than you are. You can practice this stuff, you know, all at practice throughout the week, but it's different getting different looks from guys that you haven't seen before. So I think this week was very beneficial for the team, and um, we'll see how these things roll. We'll see if these changes stick going into the Iron Bowl. I'll put it that way. J-Law, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, what do you do with the punt return situation right now? Kool-Aid has returned punts for two years at least. Uh, I know he's been bad this year, but, you know, the guy's seen – he's seen a lot of punts in the air. Um, and for those of you that have ever tried to return punts, it's not the easiest. <laughs> uh, it's, it's very, very difficult. These guys make it look really easy on TV. Um, but he's seen a lot of punts in the air – do you trust Caleb Downs to go back and return punts in a hostile environment and against Georgia in the SEC championship? Or, you know, do you think that um, Nick Saban maybe did it to get Kool-Aid's attention? What do you, what do you think's the plan back there right now for the, for the punt returner in this, uh, in this game against Auburn? Yeah. How fun was that? You know, I mean, he goes full fledged George Teague palming it for about 15, 20 yards on his punt return touchdown. But we kind of figured this was coming, right? I think we just all thought it would be Isaiah Bond, you know, because we've heard about that already this year. But, I mean, if Saban is, you know, if he if he 
is honest about everything he says, every game matters, every, every play matters, then you don't put Caleb Downs out there against Chattanooga if he's not ready to do it against Auburn. Now, listen, it's a whole different world when the lights come on. It's a whole different world when you're in Jordan-Hare Stadium. It'll be his first time there. But what I say last week, I said Kool-Aid isn't just there to catch the ball. You're there to get field position, flip field position, get good yardage, get electric plays, score touchdowns, return it. You're back there. to You're a punt returner, not a punt catcher. So Kool-Aid had become essentially a punt catcher and still found just so many ways to not even catch the ball. So if Caleb Downs can catch it, that's a plus. But if he can actually have the confidence to return a kick that could help change the game against Auburn, I think you got to go with him because Kool-Aid is showing you he's not going to return a punt. I mean, how many did he actually return this year? Maybe seven or eight total on the season. Um, so I, I look for Caleb Downs to probably be out there every single punt against Auburn. And you also got to trust the, the guys up. He, he's a dog. He's not. You're not throwing Jake Pope or somebody back there who doesn't play every every game. You're playing somebody that's playing one of the tougher positions in football to play. Played it at a high level, and according to stats on our defense, probably our best overall player. So the guy's built for moments like this, so I, I feel like I trust him. Lester, same question. What's your opinion on it? I know you were quick to uh, quick to pull the plug on on Kool Aid last week, and by the way, dude, I had probably 10 or 15 people, you know, text me or hit me up on social media, just dying at the way that me me and Dudley kind of approached the punt return. And then it got to Lester and Lester said, oh yeah, pull his ass. (laughs) Get rid of him. So obviously you've wanted Kool-Aid gone for a long time. If you're saving though, like, do you trust a true freshman? Because, you know, J-Law is right. We all thought it would be Isaiah Bond. Um, Even, you know, LSU game, during the bye week, even Bond made the he, – he gave the perception to the media like he was going to be involved in the punt return game. And uh, and he went straight from Kool-Aid. I was a little surprised to see Downs back there. Were you surprised to see Downs, first of all? And do you think that he's going to he's gonna go back there against Auburn, or do you have confidence in him, you know, with him being a true freshman in this kind of this kind of game, this kind of environment? Especially, you know, I mean, he's, he's from Georgia, so he probably knows a little bit about the rivalry, but we've talked before – Plenty of times about these out-of-state kids have no idea about the Iron Bowl. It's just another game to them. Um, so, do you trust them back there? Yeah, I've wanted Kool-Aid gone for a long time because, like I said, self-preservation, and that's just human nature. You can be the biggest badass walking out, but when that ball's in the air, you know, you got a multi-million dollar contract coming up and people are diving at your legs, you know, things change. It's not, you know, it's, it's something that you just can't control. But going to um, Caleb Downs, Absolutely, I would trust that guy. And look, hey, we've said this a lot. Um, it's the last week of the regular season. He's not a freshman anymore. That guy's a dog. He's proven himself time and time again over the season. And I would absolutely trust him in that situation to return punts. Um, I mentioned this to you um, before, Chase, but Caleb Downs is of pedigree. He, His dad played in the NFL I think he has a brother or a cousin that's played. He has an uncle that's played. The guy is mentally prepared. He's He's been surrounded by professional athletes his entire life. I don't think that the moment would get too big for him. Um, I was certainly shocked that he was the, you know, the first guy to replace Kool-Aid. And when he got back there, he excelled in it. I don't care who the competition is. Returning punts is incredibly difficult, and especially returning one for a touchdown. 
Um, the guy is electric, and I would love to see him, you know, continue in that role. So, yeah, I have full faith in Caleb Downs, 100% due to his pedigree, his athleticism, and just him being a straight-up dog and not being afraid. You know, that guy's a freshman in college. He's not thinking about going first round next year. You know, he has another two years to worry about that. So, you know, that guy has nothing to lose. You know, he's going to show out and ball out. So, yeah, I have 100% faith in that guy. You know, I'm, I'm kind of split on it, and I'm not going to lie. I uh, As much as I've disagreed with, with how Kool-Aid has played back there this year, I, I think it's been it's been abysmal. Um, and, and, you know, one of the worst that we've seen in a few years. And because, uh, I mean, hell, you know, Slade Bolden never returned any punts, but at least he would get under it and catch it. Uh, so Kool-Aid, as bad as he's been, and, and I'm not so worried about the special teams part of it, but I know if there's a mistake back there, Kool-Aid is two years older than Caleb Downs. And I understand Caleb Downs is – he might be that, you know, that different kind of breed. You're Minka Fitzpatrick. These guys that come in and just understand saving system right away. Terry on Arnold was quoted in an interview saying that Caleb Downs is a lot like saving his personality anyway. And I understand all that, and that's all great, but you still have to remember this kid's 17, 18 years old. Even though he has played 11 games and started in 11 games as a day one starter in the secondary for Nick Saban, with that being said, I mean, if he must, if he, if he, if Kool Aid drops one against Auburn, he doesn't let it, he doesn't let it go to the defensive side of the ball. You know, he's still one of the best cover corners in the country, even though he's had a terrible year. So he's got a short memory. How would Caleb Downs respond if that was to happen? If he was to go back there, muff a punt, the next time out on defense, you know, if it's third and eight, is he already thinking about the punt return? And then, bam, he gives up a double move, and he gives up a 60-yard touchdown. You know, it's, I, I always kind of think about stuff like that, the ripple effect of what would happen if a turnover what was to happen with with Caleb Downs back there. But, uh, you know, you, you just really just have to trust the coaching staff on this one. If I see Kool-Aid – out there against Auburn, I will not be shocked. If I see Caleb Downs, I also won't be shocked. So I, I trust him to put the put the best guy back there. Um, J Law, the center spot. Uh, you know what happens with the center situation now? Did Dalcourt do enough against Chattanooga um, to maybe take over that role? Seth has been another guy's been very average, and then below average snapping the football. You know. Dalcourt got a, a ton of reps at first team center in the Chattanooga game. I think it's obvious that he's a better blocker than Seth. He wasn't a better blocker than Jaden Roberts. And so I think Saban was just trying to find a spot for him early in the year. Um, I think he was replaced by Seth because of maybe communication problems with Bryce Young. But the difference is Milrow doesn't do a lot of pre-snap checks unless it comes from the sidelines right so I mean it seems like Bryce is up there until four seconds left in the play clock every single time checking protections doing all this stuff and I don't think Dalcourt could communicate with him um so since Milrose checks come from the sideline can Dalcourt maybe help Alabama at the center spot um because you know once again Seth came in the second half and immediately had another snap infraction we must have had you know, seven, eight, nine of those, you know, on top of bad snaps this year. So do we do we see a change at the center spot possibly this week? Yeah, I think you do. I don't think you start Dalcourt if you don't think that he gives you, especially the week before the Iron Bowl, if you don't think that he's going to give you the chance to to play, I guess, more winning football. Just kind of weird to me, you know, that 
and I, it's just it's just been such a Nick Saban thing. Like I just want the best guys to play <clears throat> and play at the right position. So if if Seth McLaughlin's better than Darian Dalcourt or Jaden, just think about this: Darian Dalcourt would still be our right guard if he didn't get hurt. There's no chance we played Jaden Roberts. I mean, I just I just I, it's just kind of confusing that we've played 11 games and we went into this thinking. Darian Dalcourt can't play center, and now it's Chattanooga week, and here he is starting center, and he's probably going to be the starting center for the Iron Bowl. You know, his injury could have, I guess, kept him from moving from right guard to center if you felt like he was one of your best five to seven offensive linemen overall, but makes me a little nervous, man. That place is loud. It's crazy. I've Maybe it's because I've seen Darian Dalcourt play as a starting center in Jordan-Hare, and Seth McLaughlin saved the day for him two years ago. Remember, offense had zero points with like eight minutes to go in the fourth quarter. Um, so, you know, I, I think that Seth McLaughlin, I trust him a little bit more on the road. But, you know, I just it's hard for me to understand what's been going on with McLaughlin. He can't snap it. He is really no better of a blocker than maybe he was two years ago. Some people might say that he's worse up front as far as blocking. I know Chase sent us all the video of the uh, the Millie push against Kentucky and how the center gets pushed two yards back, you know, from on a on a QB sneak makes no sense. So, you know, listen, whoever they put up there has got to play good football. I feel confident knowing that Seth McLaughlin is behind Darian Dalcourt if he if he's not able to do it. But just really strange to me that here we are going into Iron Bowl in the SEC championship game that we suddenly think that Darian Dalcourt's better Man, Seth McLaughlin. I don't know. It may not be weird to you guys. I want the best guy to play, but I've seen a lot of Darian Dalcourt, and I've never really liked him in any spot that he's been in. And, and I think our our biggest my or my biggest issue was is it seemed like this offensive line uh, was starting to jail. It seems like over the last three or four games, they they played their best football as far as protecting Jalen Milrow and also getting a push with the run game. Of course, the play calling has been a huge compliment to that. But at the same time, I think the offensive line, they were starting to gel. Now all of a sudden, uh, and we knew, you know, really if you had to pick a weak spot, you're either going to pick out Proctor or the center. And really over the last two or three weeks, it's been the center more than it's been the left tackle. Proctor's gotten better and better each week, and you see the potential there. And I think the sky's the limit for that kid. But Seth – you know, he, he might have capped. You know, he might be maxed out on this physical ability up there. So, um, I just – I didn't expect to see the change because I thought the offensive line was gelling. And maybe, yeah, it wasn't the best five as far as talent goes, but it was the five that worked best together. And so that's kind of where my my question comes in. But, you know, once again, I got to trust the coaching staff. Lester, where are you at on the center spot? What do you, what do you think happens – uh, what do you think about Dalcourt starting and, and playing the whole first half for Ch- or against Chattanooga? And then what do you think happens this week in Auburn? I mean, hey, like I said, this is a game where you would experiment with um different things. Clearly, clearly, I think Seth may have a case of the the yip. Um, clearly, it's like a mental block thing. Because, you know, what's funny is, and I, I've seen this before, I bet if Seth, was on the sidelines, and you told him to snap the ball, he'd be 100 for 100. He'd be perfect. There would be no issues, maybe some of the best snaps in his life. But, you know, in game time, it's just sometimes it's a mental thing here and there. And I think that Nick Saban knows that you can't afford to have that in a potentially close game. And Jordan Hare, 
Um, thinking forward, going to the SC Championship game, you cannot afford to give away um, a down to the defense. No matter how, you know, what you may think of Auburn, um, they're different in that place. So if if Dalcourt is the least risk-averse person in that role, then I 100% think that you have to go to that. Is there anything else in the Chattanooga game that either of you saw that you would like to discuss? Because really that's the only things I wanted to hit on. I think everything else was played beautifully. You know, everything that we talk about, everything that you want out of this game, Alabama did it. Show up like I mentioned it earlier, show up, dominate early. Don't run your quarterback. Get your starters out early. Get your backups a lot of reps, a lot of playing time. I think they executed that to perfection. So, is, is there anything else for this Chattanooga game that you guys want to talk about before we move on to, to the Iron Bowl? Hey, I like one quick thing. I like that I believe that this team took the Chattanooga game seriously because um, we've seen in the past with teams way more talented than this team have come around and just screwed around with teams like this. So, for them to come back on fire and to jump out of them early, it's, it, that was kind of impressive to me. But, yeah, that's it. Yeah, you yeah, really can't you can't yeah, say like that, that about every team in the state this past week. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I liked coming out being serious. Saban talked about momentum, how you need to have it, and it's easy to drop your guard down when you play this this that well that last week. Almost every team in the conference is playing one of those. So just to kind of keep your foot on the gas, blow them out early, get the guys in. And kind of keep the momentum rolling into this iron bowl. I think I think that's big because we have seen our teams kind of you know, not it not lose those since 07, but it'd be 17 nothing at halftime. You know, this was a game that Alabama should have been up 35 nothing at halftime, and they were. So I think we got to appreciate that as fans. Lester, coming in this coming into this Iron Bowl, where's your what makes Auburn such a dangerous place to play, in your opinion? And it, it I think it's multiple things, but I want to get some some answers from you guys in your opinions what makes Auburn such a tough place to play especially for Alabama because you know it's it's rowdy for Georgia but Georgia you, you most of the time I know they struggled this year a little bit they had two turnovers in their own territory um and and, and snuck away and escaped really one by seven points but most of the time Georgia goes over there handles business you see teams come in and beat them all the time to Mexico State but for Alabama what what makes it such a tough place to play over there for the Tide? Um, I think the main factor that makes it place a tough place to play is it's hard to play loose and easy when you have nothing to lose. Nothing. I mean, if Auburn's not playing for you know a chance to go to the to the SEC title or a chance to go to a playoff or to a national championship game, and Alabama is frequently in that spot. It's just little brother syndrome. You know, you have nothing to lose. Let's go up here and mess it up for this guy because we hate them. And I truly believe that that is the Auburn mindset. They're not they're they're not playing for anything. Nothing. They're playing for a berth in the Birmingham Bowl, which they'll probably get anyway. But if you have nothing to lose and that is your rival, you hate those guys, you want to play spoiler. And that is a massive motivating factor for anyone. Like if you have younger siblings or younger cousins or brother, you don't want to screw with them, mess them up and inconvenience them as much as possible because it's just human nature. 
you know, Alabama doesn't have beat Auburn in the back of their main meeting room, but down on the plains, beat Bama is on the back of the main freaking meeting room down there. So this is the biggest game of the year for them. It, Alabama can't say that 99% of the time, you know, because Alabama's on to bigger and better things, such as the SD championship, such as, you know, potential playoff bird. But if Auburn has a chance to screw that up, that's all the fuel that they need to come out, play loose, play fast, and cause some disruption. Yeah, makes sense. I remember in 2017, you know, Daniel Daniel Carlson said on Firebomb, I think it was, that, you know, Alabama might be national champions, but they're state champions. So, Lester, what you said makes a lot of sense. J-Law, kind of, kind of follow up on that. What do, what do you think makes this, this rivalry so tough for Alabama, you know, Last game of the season, every other year, being in Auburn. But tell me, tell me why you think it's so hard to play over there for Alabama. Yeah, it, listen, man. It the same reason why it's so hard for Auburn to play in Tuscaloosa. I mean, they didn't just have; they've had some awful teams. Don't get me wrong, but it just seems like Alabama, if they're gonna have a really bad game, they're gonna have it over there. I think it. I think it's more highlighted there. But this Alabama has bad road games all the time. Tennessee last year with Pete Golding, two years ago at Texas A and M, or three years ago at A and M. I mean, this happens to Bama. It just so happens to, that that the the Auburn games to me are more highlighted. They get the more recognition. But listen, it's a tough place to play for a lot of people. But for Alabama. It doesn't matter to Auburn fans if they're three and eight going to this game or seven and four. It's going to be packed. It's going to be loud. And I think the thing that makes this so hard for Alabama is I honestly think Nick Saban coaches this game on the road scared. I, I like I, I don't think that we go into this game like we did the Kentucky game. I know it's not the same environment, but even going back to his time at LSU, like this has not been an easy place for him to play. I mean, like the numbers kind of tell you that he, what was he 500 in Jordan hair or something like that. He's not great. I'm just, well, he's, maybe just he's, over 500. He's 500 at Alabama. I think he's like four and seven overall or something like that. I don't know if he won there when he was at LSU. I think he might've won there. So he's not great there. And if it was, I mean, so Nick Saban, he coaches, they're scared. I know it's a tough place to play, but the mindset that we bring into so many other games, the the make their ass quit, like it's like it doesn't it doesn't happen when we go there. Except AJ in 2011 when we were just so freaking good on defense and they couldn't move the ball. But man, and that's kind of what I want to see like this week. Like we're so good on defense, Auburn shouldn't be they shouldn't be able to move the ball up and down the field on us like Bo Nix did. You know his freshman year against us, like. To, why is it a tough place to play? I think a lot of that is culminated by the head coach, the way he coaches in this game. There's a, And then now it's just kind of like it's like a legend, right? It's like an old story that you tell around a campfire. Tyler Booker is saying that he's heard from other players that Auburn players get superpowers when Alabama comes to Jordan-Hare Stadium. Like it's, it's turned into that type of thing where I think Alabama is almost mentally forecasting it's just going to be a tough game there when why not hey let's go whoop their tails there let's go make it not a tough game there I think that we're just we're kind of just predestined to go there and play a, a, a tight game because that's what we keep saying that it's going to be yeah you know I agree with that too J-Law what y'all both said makes a lot of sense and I was thinking about this question and and you know kids don't come to Alabama to beat Auburn Kids come to Alabama to play for SEC and national championships. There's a there's a bigger picture to Alabama's program than just 
beating that other team in the state. Uh, you know, it seems like kids go to Auburn simply to beat Alabama. And, and why is that? Because you're out of the playoff hunt by the end of October every year, so all you can do is play spoiler, like Lester was talking about. And this goes for the fan base, too. And I wouldn't, you know, I, I can almost guarantee you if Bama switched the time of the year and the season that they played Auburn with Georgia, then I'm not sure Georgia would have a seven-game win streak and, you know, 10 out of the last 11 or whatever it is over Auburn. It, this is Auburn's last resort. This their little, their literal, it's literally their national championship game. They will lay it all on the line, give Bama all they want, which is what makes it such a dangerous game every two years. Um, but you know, having said all that, Lester, where's your confidence level of this Bama team going into Jordan Hare? Um, Jay Law was just talking about Tyler Booker and the Auburn players getting getting superpowers, which you know might sound crazy, but if you really think about it, you know, you know, you've had nobodies for Auburn make some big time plays in this game. Um so where is your confidence level of this Bama team going into Jordan Hare? With, with let's say let's go one through ten, with one being I think Bama loses the game, and then ten being like a 30, 40 point blowout. Where's your confidence level of, of Bama going into Jordan Hare? Yeah, Tyler Booker, shut up, dude. Fuck. I mean, all right, all right. Uh, I mean, all He's right. Just saying what right. he was told. He didn't say that. He, he said that that's matter. what he was told. <laughs> You don't get on national radio and say that. All right, my that just really pissed me off. Like, um, my confidence in this game is about a six and a half. Um, I believe that Auburn may have a pit. It it just all depends on how the game starts. If Bama can get down there, um, whether defensively or offensively, defensively, you know, maybe get Auburn to have a short drive. But offensively, maybe go down there. Um get three points. I'll take three. It doesn't have to be a touchdown. But I'll say I'll say my confidence is probably about a six and a half to seven um based on how Bama's played um as the season has gone on. But you know, Jordan Harris, Jordan Hare. Um I I'll, I'll I'll go a seven. I don't want to be overly confident, but I'm pretty confident in this team. And I'm not so sure how things are going on down the plains with Hugh and his team and that fan base. So I'll go probably about a seven. I think it's a really good number, Lester. Uh, I, I love that number seven because, you know, I don't think – I think it's kind of silly to to expect Alabama to go in there and win by three or four touchdowns. But at the same time, I also think it's silly to think in the, the, to think that – or from an Alabama standpoint that you can go into this game and that you're pretty confident they're going to lose. Um, you know, we'll get into score predictions here in a little bit. I don't, I don't want you all giving any score predictions away, but I love that, that seven number because – you know, as intimidating, I guess, as Jordan Hare is and as bad as Saban has been there, it just doesn't seem really like Auburn has the horses uh, this year. But, Jayla, what is your what's your confidence level in Alabama heading into Jordan Hare? Like I said, with one being, oh, we're going to lose, and then ten being, oh, we're going to beat him by five touchdowns. Yeah, I was going to sit right at about a 7.5, just over a 7, just above, like, feeling good. Um, listen, Auburn, how many times has Alabama lost to a team that on paper just isn't – just isn't there? Rare. I mean, Very they don't have an elite quarterback. Bo Nix, hey, look, Bo Nix was an elite quarterback. His freshman year, he was one of the best quarterbacks in in college football. He was a heck of a player. He, I mean, so that 2019 game, 
not that you put an asterisk beside it, but Bo Nix played lights out. You also had a drunk defensive coordinator who couldn't ever find a way to get a stop. Mac Jones threw two pick sixes. And I'm rolling in this game just looking position by position. Bad offensive line. Average running back. Average quarterback who's got a walking boot on. Would not be surprised if we saw some Robbie Ashford in this game. Throw into a bunch of nobodies. Defensive line. Okay. But they just gave up 250 rushing yards last week to New Mexico State. Linebackers, they clearly can't fill a gap because they just gave up 250 rushing yards to New Mexico State. Secondary, I'm not sure if they covered anybody last week, but they didn't need to because they gave up 250 rushing yards to New Mexico State. So I'm just thinking about this game, like position by position, like where do they match up? The crowd's going to be the problem. It would be a 10 for me. If it was, if this game was in Bryant-Denny, I'm picking Bama by 28. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so the crowd's going to be an issue for me, but can Alabama put their foot on the gas early, get up in this game, and, and kind of break their will? Because I think the longer the crowd stays in it, it's going to be rough. The longer the the fans think that they can win the game, and then it gives Hugh more confidence to start dialing a, a few things up, which I know he's going to have some stuff in the back. So I'm sitting at a seven point five, probably seven seven and a half, kind of around where Lester was. Lester, I don't know if you heard J Law there, but New Mexico State ran for two hundred and fifty yards on Auburn last week. They come in there, and th- this wasn't a fluky game, and they came in there and physically kicked the shit out of Auburn. Beat you 31 to 10 on your own field, dominated you in the stat columns, dominated you on the scoreboard. There was nothing fluky about this game. It was domination from start to finish. Does that hurt or help Alabama? Because if you're a Bama player, of course, Nick Saban is trying, you're constantly trying to get these guys to, hey, this game can hurt you, this game can hurt you. And they're hearing all these stories, blah, blah, blah. But when you watch the team get dominated by a New Mexico State, and yes, they're nine and three now, or eight, whatever it is, uh, eight and three, whatever, whatever their record record is, they're still a group of five school. And so as a Bama player, do you think that helps or hurts them in preparation for this Auburn game? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, because you know. Like I said, if you're not from here, if you don't exactly know, seeing Auburn getting beat by, uh, you know, New Mexico State, you know, you may let your guard down. And that's exactly what I don't want to happen. I hope that, you know, some of those older guys on staff, uh, former players who who got Josh Chapman, uh, isn't Geno Smith, uh, like some of those older guys that are there, let those guys know, like, you know, this ain't what you think it is. You know what I mean? You can't let your guard down against these guys. So, yeah, I I, I would think that under normal conditions, um, a team may ease up their thinking. But I believe and I would hope that with Saban having all these former players and things on staff and himself emphasize, you know, daily, you cannot let your guard down. You cannot let these guys hang around because if they do, crazy things will happen. So, you know, I'm going to put my faith in Saban and the staff and those former players to keep these guys focused. Just to add on to that, the the starting 22 that Alabama will run out there on the offensive and defensive sides of the ball, four are from the state of Alabama. Four. F-O-U-R. Four out of 22. Now, there's, of course, there's some of the two deep and the rotational guys. Um, but starting – and that, that, that's if uh, Deontay Lawson plays. So – 
four guys out of 22. So, yeah, that's what you're right. There's not a lot of guys that understand this rivalry. They grew up around it. Um, J-Law, we've talked in the past about revenge games for the players. This year, Tennessee, LSU, of course. Um, is it the same way for coaches? And I'm talking about Kevin Steele. This guy, you know, is one of Saban's first hires when he got to Alabama, sure. But he also spent a few years over at Auburn and led a – couple of ferocious defenses over there. Uh they I know he had some some really good defensive linemen at one at one time and it was a tough place to play and it was a tough defense to to play against. And um twenty twenty happens or twenty nineteen they fire Gus and everybody wants Kevin Steele. You know, the boosters want him, the powers to be want him. A lot of the fans wouldn't have minded the hire, even though he was an older coach, it was probably what, sixty one, sixty two at the time. But they kind of wanted him to bridge the gap between Gus and the next big-time coach that they wanted to hire. They thought he would have been a good bridge. And really the move made sense. He knew the program. You know, he had he had recruiting relationships. And then Alan Green said, no, I was, I was sharing the hot tub with this guy from Boise, Idaho, and I really like him instead. So they kind of backstabbed Kevin Steele a little bit. Does that play play a role in the preparation for Kevin Steele, in your opinion? I, I I would say like yeah, you know maybe, but I don't think so. I mean, it's Kevin Steele, dude. He's been everywhere. He's coached everywhere. He understands this game. He's working for the greatest of all time. Yeah, but that's obviously a, that's he's got a, some hard feelings. But how does how does that translate to the guys that are going to be playing on the field? I know, like to me, I think Kevin Steele is really good at his job and I think he goes 100% every week so I don't know like how what else is he going to pull out of the bag when it comes to beating Auburn now listen I know he wants to beat him but I don't know if it's actually going to play I don't know if it's going to give any extra motivation now the players could get amped up about it. everybody knows that Auburn wanted to hire Kevin Steele they actually almost hired him boycotted it Tennessee hired him for like three days I know y'all remember that and then they hired Josh Heifel instead because of Clay Travis and then he ended up at Miami in a really tough situation as a defensive coordinator. But, I mean, I, I'm sure that every, all the players know. I'm sure it's, it's been going around the locker room. I'm just not sure how much he's going to be able to motivate the guys and, and use that in this game. But I know Kevin still wants to win this game. I know he wants to prove that they should have hired him as a head coach. And, um, you know, I, I just think he's been so good this year. It's like how, how much higher can he go in this game when the talent differential between these two teams is so lopsided? Yeah, you know, maybe a little, hey, guys, you know, win this one for me. Don't forget, you know, these guys. And, you know, it might not mean anything to him, but he had a chance to make SEC West-type head coach money, and then he ended up being the defense coordinator in Miami. So a little bit of a pay cut there. And he wasn't going to get $10 million a year, but he was going to get a hell of a lot more than he got in Miami. And so, yeah, I'm sure it stung a little bit. And as far as motivating players, I mean – you know, maybe a couple extra, couple extra hours in the film room. See how Freeze attacked Alabama at Ole Miss in 2014 and 15. What's worked? Um, what he thinks could happen? Because look, Auburn physically cannot line up and beat Alabama with the offense that they've ran this year. Uh, they started to run Peyton Thorne a little bit more as the season's gone along. So you gotta expect that to happen if you're Kevin Steele, but. Um, Lester, what kind of defensive game plan do you think Steele will have here? Do you think that 
I mean, if you're no, if you're Kevin Steele, what do you really prepare for? It's just kind of like you know, hell, guys, anything can happen. Keep your head on a swivel, or is, you know, what do you, what do you try to lock in on with this Auburn offense? Go get their asses. Bingo, bingo, blitz, damn it, blitz, blitz, blitz. damn it. Go blitz. get their asses. Put the pressure on them. Get them, Willie. <laughs> Peyton Thorne is not great of a quarterback. Um, I don't think the offensive line is great. I don't think the the running backs are great. I'm not. I forgot who said it, but they thought they thought that Alabama and Auburn had compare comparable running back groups. I I, I don't know who in the know. hell said that. Yeah, I think I was listening to John and Barry, and they had some barter on. Oh but whatever, God. whatever, comparing position groups. But yeah, go get those guys, man. Like if if you can do one thing to help your offense out against an inferior group, it is going out and putting pressure on the other team's offense constantly. I'll sacrifice a big player too because I know who's back there on the back end covering everybody. But yeah, go get the go get them. Send send five minimum every single play. There's no excuse not to. There's no reason why they should not be coming for. Peyton Thorne or whoever they have back there at quarterback every single play. J-Law, I know we didn't have a ton of offensive talk in this podcast. Um, is there any reason to believe that Tommy Reese does anything different than, than what he's been doing and the the trend that he's been on, the upward progression that he's been on, or the upward trend, sorry, that he's been on over the last month or so? Do, do we expect to see anything different, or is that how Alabama has to approach this game? Yeah, I think the best part about Alabama's offense is has just been the legs of Jalen Milrow and how it opens everything up. We're so much better on third down. Even we're so much better on third and medium, which is, you know, was a problem early in the year. Third and five was almost a death sentence for this offense. Not anymore. I don't think Tommy Reese has to do anything special. I mean, I think Tommy Reese needs to do what Tommy Reese has done since the second half of the Tennessee game, get his team in the third manageable take the reins off the quarterback, let him do what he needs to do. But, man, been really impressed with Tommy, a Broyles Award finalist now after, and who would have thought that after the Texas game, especially with the how bad of a game he called, plus how bad Jalen Milrow was. Because you can't be the, you can't be the, you know, the, the top assistant coach in football if your players aren't, you know, executing the way they need to. But I think Tommy Reese, man, like, like Auburn, they don't stop the run very well. I think you can lean on the run. I want to see a lot. You know what I want Tommy Reese to do? I want to see a lot of jam, and I want to see a lot of Roy Dell and less of Jace McQuillan. Jace, it just, just doesn't hit the hole hard enough for me. Uh, I like I like jam. I like Roy Dell. I think a heavy dose of them would be great. Great game plan for them. And Auburn struggles to to cover guys. I mean, let's do some stuff. Let's do some play action. Let's let's get those DBs kind of thinking a little bit. But Todd, just I think I'm I'm looking heavy run game. And um, try to try to wear them out early and dominate because I think that's been working a lot in these last couple of weeks. Just being able to run the football has really changed it. I don't think Tommy Reese has to do anything too different in this game to leave Jordan Hare with a win. All right, Lester, give me a uh, give me a breakdown of this Iron Bowl game. How you think it's going to play out? And uh, does Bama cover? What is it right now, guys? I'm sorry, I haven't even checked today. It's like 15, 15 and a half. Um, That's right. It was 13 and a half last I saw. So it was probably 15, 14, 15 now. Yeah, I'll look as you're talking. But um, give me a breakdown <laughs> of how you think this game's going to go and tell me where you think Alabama covers and give me a score prediction. Yeah, Alabama is the dominant team here. 
Auburn is completely inferior. There is no position group in Auburn that is better than any position group in Tuscaloosa. It's not comparable. Um, the talent gap is way too wide. The depth is way too wide. Um, you know, I, we've said several times this game is in September, August, um, October. Auburn may not ever win an Iron Bowl. But since it's in November, you know, things change. It's a little bit different. But um, I, I, I look for the Tide. If everything on paper plays out how it should, I'm going to say 37. And I throw that 37 out there because I want Will Reichert to break the national scoring record. So I'd love to see lots of field goals. Um, I'd love to see lots of touchdowns. I'm going to say 37 to 16. 37-16. Um, give me 21 points on the road. Damn. 20. All right. <laughs> Loving the confidence, brother. Um. Um. Ooh, 21 points. Yeah, the line right now is 14. Um, so yeah, Lester going with 21. So all right, look, this is this is probably the most and I told y'all I had something to say earlier, but I was gonna save it for the podcast. This is probably the most important thing that I've said all year, maybe on the podcast ever, because every all I've seen on Twitter, all I've seen on social media, all I've heard on on the radio is Saban's four and four and Jordan Hare at Alabama. Saban can't coach in Jordan Hare. Alabama's not good in Jordan Hare. Okay, look, Saban does not have a good record in Auburn. You can't, I mean, everybody sees that. But as I started breaking this thing down, I realized that there have been very few games in, in Jordan Hare where Alabama has been at full capacity, so to speak. Look, 2013, Auburn had a good team. I mean, hell, I, I think the winner of the winner of that game was going to get to the Natty regardless. I think Alabama beats Florida State, but we'll never know. Of course, you know, Auburn gets to the national championship, so they had a good team in 2013. It still took one of the flukiest plays in college football history um, that they still hang their hats on to this day, if you can't tell, um, that which is a kick six is what I'm talking about. 2017, Alabama goes over there. They had the future national championship winning quarterback and probably in a future NFL MVP on the bench, <laughs> Jalen Hurts, his sophomore year, had no shot in that game, and everybody knew it. Uh, Kevin Stills, defense coordinator in that game, I remember he said after it, we went with the Michael Jordan game plan. You, you defend number two and number three, which is don't let Hurts run and defend Calvin Ridley because that's the only guy he's throwing to. And they beat us 26-14, even though Alabama did get in the uh, – in the playoff that year, 2019, Steve Sarkeesian, Tua goes down against Mississippi State. That's backup quarterback, Matt Jones. And it still took one pick six and then another fluky pick six off the ass of Najee Harris to win that one in 2019, Bo Nix's freshman year. 2021, it took four overtimes. And I think Ben was a 20-and-a-half-point favorite in that game. 2021 took four overtimes, which sucked at the time. But now looking back, you realize that there was a lot of dysfunction at the offensive and defensive coordinator positions. And, and J-Mo also, got ejected. Yeah, also being, being, yeah, bingo. Also, J-Mo gets ejected because for some reason he's on the punt team. So he gets ejected in the first quarter of the game. That was Alabama's only offense. See the SEC championship the, the very next week. Um 
So even though Alabama has dropped some games in Jordan Hare, really the only time they've gone into Jordan Hare with a healthy team and two good solid coordinators was 2015 when they won. What was it like 29 to 13? They really didn't even break a sweat that game. They had Derrick Henry, the highest winner. They just kept feeding him. So I just never thought I'd say this after week two, but I just have I have confidence in Tommy Reese and Kevin Steele to not let the crowd affect their game plans, which is what I think has happened in the past. And then after what Tommy Reese did at Texas A&M, my confidence in that regard went up even higher. So now having said all that, most most of the time Vegas will give the home team what is it like six to eight points or something like that. I think Jordan Hare gets anywhere from 10 to 12 points as far as home field advantage goes, especially in this Alabama game. I'll boost that number up a little bit. So I don't think Bama gets to 14 because I think just the crowd itself is going to give Auburn 10 points. Bama wins but doesn't cover. I'm going to say 34 to 23. J-Law, what do you have? Yeah, I don't know if I'm going with a 21-point dub as our as our boy Lester had, but I I could see Alabama sneaking their way into the high 30s in this game. I really could, maybe late in the fourth quarter, kind of tacking one on at the end. I just see Auburn being able to dial up a way, trick plays, reverse, whatever it might be, to be able to find a way to get 21 to 24 points in this game. Like, I – but I'm still not worried because I think our offense is going to be good enough to throughout this game. I think Auburn's chasing us. I mean, I, I don't think this is going to be oh nine ish where Alabama's in the hunt and our offense is just uh. We got Greg McElroy who's an absolute nobody playing quarterback. I just don't think it's going to be like that. I think it's going to be more they're chasing us in this game. They're going to have a hard time stopping Milrow. They're going to have to go deep in their pocket to kind of find some plays and some offense in this game to score some points. I could see this game being, I like it, 38. Hey, I'm going to go 17 points right here. Dang, 17-point dub on the road, 38-21. And, J-Lo, you know, think, you're, you're not usually a guy that's going to lay that on the road. No, that, I'm, not, I'm not really. I'm just trying to, like, I'm just looking back. Auburn went on a heck of a run this year against 4-7 and seven Arkansas, 2-9 and nine Vanderbilt, and – Mississippi State, who fired their coach, who yeah, they're, is they're the six, worst. They're six and zero against teams with uh, records below five hundred. No, I'm sorry. Yes, that's right. Six and zero against teams with records below five hundred. Zero and five um, against teams with records above five hundred this year. That's so. They've beaten the teams they're supposed to beat, and they've lost to the teams that they're supposed to lose to, including New Mexico State. Yeah, and I'm just going back to these like. Just thinking about how many times Alabama's gone in there and it's just been a close, crazy game. But I just think like this team and they don't I, – I think that they're – you, you asked Lester, does the New Mexico State game help or hurt Alabama? I think it gives Alabama confidence. I think so many times they go into this game scared, oh, my God, Auburn's on a four if, – if they win – if Auburn wins last week's game, oh, my God, they're on a four-game win streak. They're going to be so tough to beat. They're playing great football. Now it's, hey – Let's just play our game. Let's do what we're supposed to do. Let's go in there, run the football. You kind of relax a little bit. And you just kind of relax. And you just think, hey, you know, this is a winnable game. Like, you don't go in this game with anxiety and fear like like we usually do. So, I think, I think the loss last week helps 
Alabama. Like, was Auburn going to play this game any any worse if they beat New Mexico State? No, because they're they're they've been playing a one game season since the end of September. It just is what it is. Since the Georgia games has been a one game season for for seven consecutive ball games for Auburn, they have to beat Alabama. So I don't think that I don't think the New Mexico State game changes that at all. But I do think it helps Alabama to give them confidence in this game. But I, I'm going to go 38-21, 17 points. I think it's a late field goal or a late touchdown that gets Alabama to 38. But I do think it's going to be somewhere in that 15 to 17 point range. Lester, a, a playoff team will be or a top four team will be eliminated this weekend. You got number two against number three, Ohio State and Michigan. Instead of our bet of the week, we're going to pick this game. And it's in the big house at Michigan. Michigan's favored by three and a half. Of course, remember, no Jim Harbaugh. Um, Michigan's look great. Haven't really played anybody. Ohio State's more battle-tested. Um, you know, they went to Notre Dame and beat them on the road. and They were a top ten team at the time. So, Michigan minus three and a half. Who do you like in this game? Yeah, man, I'm I'm going to take Ohio State in this one. Um, I think that I I just don't think Michigan in their Maryland I 1940s offense. You love that though. That's your forte, yeah, bro. It's awesome on the NCAA 14, but <laughs> you know when it comes to practice, when it comes to you know putting in practice against you know five star dogs across from you, I I, I don't think I think that offense is very predictable. Um. Their skill players aren't very impressive from what I've seen the little of Michigan this year. And um, you know, I, I yeah, I just don't I think Michigan's a bunch of fool's gold. I think Ohio State will beat them um in the big house. And um I'll probably I'll say Ohio State by at least four for sure. Just think Michigan's got so much experience. And Kyle McCord is similar to Jalen Milrow. They're not doing it the same way, but he is getting better every single every single week. You know, they're finding ways to get Marvin Harrison Jr. the ball. Um, so I think he's he's progressing. The offense is progressing. But, man, Michigan, even without Jim Harbaugh, they've got so much experience. They're so old. Like, I mean, they, gosh, there's no – I mean, look. you look at their roster, look at their depth chart, all the seniors that they start, their, their experience is off the charts. And this is such an emotional game. And most of the time, experienced players that have been in this game three or four times, they're the ones that come out on top in emotional rivalry games. So it's kind of the reason why I picked Bama, you know, by 10-plus. And uh, it's another reason why I think Michigan, I think they covered the three-and-a-half. J-Law, what do you have for that one? Michigan minus three-and-a-half at home versus Ohio State. Yeah, home game for Michigan. Big House is going to be rocking, even though it's at 11 a.m., which to me is a tragedy. That game's at 11 a.m., two versus three. But I think I think Michigan's better. I know Harbaugh's not there. They might be better because they, they've been cheating. I don't know, but I, I just don't have a lot of faith in Kyle McCord. Like, he's playing okay. I mean, Jalen Miller is a better quarterback right now than Kyle McCord. Alabama's got... To me, I mean, like, I know they have weapons. I know they have Maz- Maserati, Marv, or whatever Gus Johnson keeps saying on the big noon kickoff. But I just think Michigan's a little better. Their defense is, to me, better. And that game being at home, I would take Michigan and Michigan to cover. I like about six or seven. Hey, J-Law, how does Mark Ingram end up on big noon kickoff? Money. I mean, like – <laughs> 
mean, the SEC they, wouldn't hire that guy. Like, I got to listen to Chris Doring every freaking week. Well, this that's he's making, over there doing he's a making great way job. more money on. He's making way more money on uh, Fox College Football Saturday yeah. kickoff than yeah, what I, the I, Chris Doring yeah. is doing. I guess I'm I'm biased. I want him in the SEC. But all right, is it time for our weekly? Uh, Bama's not going to make the playoff talk. <laughs> hey, look, y'all can get on Al Gore's internet and argue all you want to. I'm I'm not going to do it. I've said it. Um, Two months ago, I'm 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 not gonna run down scenario. If if they get in, yeah, great, it happens. I I will be the most ecstatic person sure. if they get in. But every single thing that I've witnessed and the things I've heard outside the SEC for the past 15, 20 years, especially regarding Alabama, these people have an extra grind. I'm telling you, they they really do. And if they Got an opportunity to leave Alabama out. They will, and I, you're going to see that this year. Alabama's caught between a sandwich year. Um, you know, the 12-team playoff is next year. You know, this year is kind of a transition year for Alabama, you know, with, you know, Bryce and, you know, new coordinators, you know, Bryce leaving, new coordinators leaving, coming in. Uh, it's just a sandwich year, and this is the year that they're probably going to stick it to Bama. So, you know, unless chaos happens, I, I I don't I don't I don't really see it coming in. So they they might stick it to us, but I just think that a lot of people know that if Bama finishes the year twelve and one, that mean if Bam not not that they've been the best team all year, but right. in December, right. if Bama finishes twelve and one with a win over Georgia, they are at that moment the best team in football. There's no doubt. I mean, there, there's nothing else. There's nothing else you got to do. Say since the Texas game or since the Tennessee game, Alabama has been the best team in football. I think I just I just kind of believe the committee's going to wake up and say, you know what, dang, these guys right here, they're they're one of the four best teams, not just right now, but they proved it, you know, in the SEC title game. But we'll see. You know, we got to beat Auburn and we got to beat Georgia, which I still think beating Georgia is kind of a long shot. So yeah, but they see, they should have done that though when they, when this. First started, like I said, I'm not going to argue about whether Bama should get in or not, but I will tell you regarding the playoff process, when this started, they said that it was going to be the four best teams. That was the number one overall criteria, if I'm not mistaken, the four best teams, and they are not going by that. I t- I texted y'all in the group um, earlier this week. I said, I personally, for transparency's sake, I would like for you know a short paragraph from each committee member explaining um your position on who you think should be ranked where and i think that the committee chair should release a short essay weekly explaining the top four at that time just yeah so they don't have they don't them not having them not having to explain is kind of well, to me it's bs but i mean here's the deal though right now oregon's best their best win is a loss to Washington. Now they have no wins against currently ranked teams. Zero. I mean, like what? The, to me, that's why it doesn't make any sense. And I think I mean, that this, that's a lot of people are thinking it's a beginning. joke, anyways. Yeah, this is why this was flawed from the beginning. No one could have predicted how NIL and everything would shape the landscape. Like, so when this was implemented, there were maybe six teams in college football at the time who had a legitimate chance to win a national title. And six is probably stretching it. So, you know, when you're thinking the 14 playoff, you're like, mm, okay, yeah, that's four is a good number. But with, you know, free agency and, and parity going on in the sport now, you know, with four teams, you know, you can argue, 
you know, eight, nine teams that, that could potentially win a natty are being left out. Maybe not eight or nine, maybe, you know, four or five, but you get the gist of it. Like, somebody's going to get left out who is certainly deserving of a chance to play for a national title. Here's the thing for all of you that have hung on with us for around the, the one hour mark of the show. Um, we appreciate you listening, but here's the way I see it. Oregon's not losing. Uh, if they played Washington in the Pac-12 championship on a neutral field, they they beat Washington. And even it, it doesn't matter. That's a that's what we call an elimination game. I said earlier, you got an elimination game this week with Ohio State and Michigan. The loser will fall behind Alabama. That puts Bama at seven, okay? The loser of Washington and Oregon next week puts them behind Alabama. Now Alabama's at six. If Alabama was to beat Georgia, that puts Georgia behind Alabama. Now Alabama's at five. So that leaves you one more team to lose. Um, It's not going to be the Big Ten champ because they're going to be undefeated. So really, Alabama's best bet, if you're an Alabama fan listening to this, you have to root for a Florida State loss or a Texas loss. Texas plays uh, Texas Tech this week, and um, I believe Oklahoma State in the Big 12 championship, and then Florida State plays Florida in the swamp, even though Florida lost their quarterback as well. Uh, Graham Mertz last week, um, he will not play, so you got to play Florida in the swamp, and then you have to play Louisville in the ACC championship. So more than likely the best bet is Florida State. Um Let's hit this real quick, guys, because I know you know we like to cut this thing off at about an hour. J-Law, even if FSU gets by Florida and Louisville, if you're a committee member, do you send them to the playoff without their quarterback? And what, what I say, you know, because we texted about this earlier, the guy's like 64%, going for like 2,800 yards. He's got like 27 total touchdowns or something like that. He's a, He is – he's what makes their offense go. They have great receivers, but – it's not like they have a, a Doak Award winner at, at running back or a guy that's going to win the Heisman or the Maxwell. So their quarterback runs their offense, or their offense runs through their quarterback. Now Jordan Travis is gone for the year. Even if Florida State was to finish 13-0, and would you send them to the playoff? Do you think they're a top-four team without their starting quarterback? No, I don't even think they're a top-four team right now. To be honest, even with before Jordan Travis went out, dude, they've played so many games. They're like – Florida State is this year's TCU. They played a horrible schedule outside of the LSU game. You got to realize, and no, I don't think a lot of people do. I sent I sent y'all this on Saturday or Sunday of last week. George, I mean, Florida State has not played the two, three, four, or the fifth best team right now in the ACC standings this year. They played six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, thirteen, and fourteen. So they 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 avoided NC State. North Carolina, Georgia Tech, and Louisville. So they didn't play any of the two through five. They beat up on a bunch of nobodies. So it, they have the worst resume. Well, actually, Oregon does, but at least they've looped good, I guess, almost every week against bad teams, whatever. But Florida State, to me, is this year's TCU. They were going to say they're deserving because they went undefeated and they won their games, but again – that doesn't make you one of the best teams, especially with Jordan Travis being out. I'm not trying to pull an extra save and say, look at the betting lines, but every team in the top six, well, take out Texas because I don't know about them either, but if you put a, a game on Michigan, Ohio State, 
Alabama, Oregon, Washington versus Florida State. Florida State would be a neutral field, probably four and a half point dog at least minimum in every single one of those games. They're not one of the four best teams, especially without their quarterback. Do I trust the committee to do the right thing? No, but I do believe that Florida State will lose one of the next two just because Jordan Travis is just a big part of what they do. That'd be, uh, you know, that could get Bama in if they take care of business against Georgia. Lester, what do you think? You think the committee would send Florida State to the, to the, uh, to the playoff at thirteen and zero with the backup quarterback? I mean, well, how big are the balls on on the playoff committee? Exactly. You you let me know because because if if you want to do this and leave them out, an undefeated conference champion. Ooh, okay, okay, like how. How open to to backlash, um, to national scrutiny are they? You know, are they willing to take? Now, granted, the playoff committee has zero accountability; they don't answer to anybody. But that 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 would be a shitstorm of epic proportions if they do that. Because see, the thing is, um, there's it's a lose lose situation. If Florida State loses their bowl game, which they'll be in a you know big New Year's Day bowl, you know, yada yada yada. Okay, they're the quarterback, you know, if they win, hey, see, Florida State should have been in. You know, it's a lose lose situation. Kind of so, like with Alabama last year, you know, they go down and yeah, thump, thump yeah. Kansas State, and then TCU gets their ass whooped. Yep, yeah. yep, they, they knew. Like you, like I promise you, they know that Florida State should probably be left out, but they're not going to do it. They they can't. I mean, they they're not going to do it as much as they should. So that's sad. But all right, yeah, the, everybody, you know, if you're a Fan of the Crimson and White, root for chaos. Uh, like I said, I'll say it again. You, we're all eyes need to be on Florida State and Texas. Uh, don't believe Oregon State can go on the road and beat Oregon at the House of Loud in the Austin Zoo. So I look for Oregon to win that game. It's on Friday night. So you got to root for Texas to lose or Florida State to lose. Um, but guys, anything else you want to add? Iron Bowl week. Yeah, hey, let's go kick some ass, enjoy some turkey. Hope everybody has a great time. Um, hey, watch Bama Hoops this weekend, big tournament. Um, Ohio State's Friday night, I do believe. Yeah, but um, other than that, um, yeah, have a good time. Will Be- you listen to Christmas music after Thanksgiving? No, 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 no. So it's just you just hate the music because you just. 99% of Christmas music is terrible and is overplayed. And you know, so. it makes sense because like you're a you're not a gas grill guy, you're a charcoal grill. So whenever Santa brings you that charcoal and you're stocking every year, you just go put it in your grill. That's, That's probably why you have that kind Literally. of attitude. That's fuel for my fire. Literally. Yeah. Fuel for okay, that makes sense now. I'm kind of putting it together. But yeah, everybody, Lester hates Christmas music, so bash his ass. But uh, you know, <laughs> happy Thanksgiving, guys, from Gump Runners to to your family. We appreciate you listening. Roll Tide. Let's go go kick Auburn's ass, like Lester said. Hey, if we win by twenty one or seventeen, I'll, t- I'll take them, guys. But uh, you know, until next week, which will be episode one hundred. This is episode ninety nine, Gump Runners podcast. Chase Thornton, Lester Mitchell, Jeremy Law. I'll talk to you guys next week.